Well, happy Easter, everybody. You guys are kind of a wild crowd this morning, I think. And we are packed in here like Easter eggs in a crate, I think. Uh, good to have you all with us this morning. Uh, somebody, Several people this morning walked into our Bozeman location and asked, how in the world are you guys making this happen today? If you're not quite aware of what we've done, we had a 10 o'clock service down at the Baxter Hotel in Bozeman and then uh, 11 o'clock here at River Rock. And the way we, we made that work, uh, John opened up down at River Rock and led worship and did a great job and then came over here to get this thing started. As soon as I was done teaching in Bozeman, we jumped in the car, did not break any laws uh, and, and got here right on time to teach and uh, it's all went very well. But uh, what's really made this work, we have nearly 90 volunteers in two locations making this happen today. And so thanks to all of you who have worked really hard and, uh, and have been the support system for all of this. Uh, it, it's just amazing, just amazing to me how many people have pulled together to make this work and we're having fun. Uh, the other thing that I'm really excited about, uh, a few weeks ago we put the, the word out that we needed candy for an Easter egg hunt that will follow right after this service. It's going to be right across the street. Uh, we were planning on providing about 800 eggs, that's kind of what we thought. And candy came in, and candy came in, and candy came in. We have 1,300 eggs over there. So... Uh, and that's just because you guys gave. So thank you so much. For those of you that have little ones and uh, they're anxious for the Easter egg hunt, just so you know, we're going to be in the soccer field right across the street. Uh, as soon as we're done here, if your kids are over in the Drake building in the kids' service, what we're going to ask parents to do is to go get your kids as quickly as you can when we're done and then take them over there. We will start the Easter egg hunt 15 minutes after this service ends. So that'll give you just enough time to grab your kids and move over there. I understand there's a little bridge and a gate, and you should be able to find your way over there just fine. So uh, I'm very excited this morning. We're starting a brand new message series today that uh, I'm calling No Guilt, Just Love. And this has been kind of our mantra here at Connect Church the last few months. If you're a regular here with us, you, you know that uh, we started reading through the New Testament in 90 days in February, and it was kind of a challenge that we put out to everybody, and we adopted this mantra, no guilt, just love, because we were, we were kind of concerned that in asking people to read through the New Testament in 90 days, that maybe people would fall behind, and they'd feel guilty, and they'd get discouraged, they'd quit their small group, whatever, and, and we didn't want to guilt people, we just wanted to love them and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus. And so we started just uh, saying this to one another, no guilt, just love. One day in my small group, one week, I had a very, very busy week and I fell behind in my Bible reading and uh, I confessed it to my group. I haven't read very much this week. And everybody just hollered real loud, no guilt, just love. So it even goes for me and I'm really thankful for that. But I, I want to share with you today where this little phrase, no guilt, just love, comes from. Uh, uh, about a year ago, I think it was, 
I was on the phone with somebody that goes to Connect Church, and, and they'd been missing for a few weeks, and we hadn't seen them. And so I called them up, and I said, hey, I haven't seen you at Connect, and I just want you to know that we miss you. And the first thing that came out of this person's mouth was, oh, Pastor Russ, I'm so sorry. And I know that I should be in church, but I'm so busy, and all these excuses. And, and he was just oozing guilt right over the phone. And the first thing that I said was, no guilt. I, I'm not calling to make you feel guilty. I just want you to know that we love you and we miss you. And then uh, over the next few weeks, as I was making phone calls and just checking up on people that were missing, it was like we had these same conversations again and again. People just felt guilty when they heard my, my voice on the line, and that's not what I wanted. I, I, you know, my job isn't to make people feel guilty. Uh, my job is to make people feel loved, right? And so I started saying this again and again, no guilt, just love. And, and it came out of this this understanding that so many times people feel guilt over behaviors that they do or they don't do. And uh, really, in a healthy church, it shouldn't be about guilt. It should just be about loving one another and motivating one another to walk with Jesus. And so uh, when I was getting ready for Easter this year, I just thought, you know, I'm going to teach on this for a few weeks. And so today is the first message in this series that we're calling No Guilt, Just Love. I thought I'd start today with a story from my childhood. Uh, my mom was and still is all about guilt, and she will tell you so. <laughs> and uh, some of my early memories as a kid was, was guilt. I, I will be real honest with you in saying that, that I, I was very much motivated by guilt, and, uh, and my mom uh, used guilt like a weapon. In fact, I had a conversation with my mom this week, and I told her some of the stories that I was going to be telling about her. And she said, well, good. I like guilt. It makes you do what I want you to do. <laughs> so although I'm, although I'm probably shaming my mom a little, she deserves it. All right? And <laughs> those of you that know my mom, you, you, can, you can tell her I said so. One of my early memories, uh, early, early memories of my childhood, I think I was about four or five years old, uh, was in the first house that I lived in with my family, my mom and dad and my sister. And it was a little house on the north side of Great Falls, little tiny two-bedroom house. My dad was a banker and my mom was a nurse and they weren't making very much money. My dad had started working for a bank right out of high school as a janitor, and then he began to work his way up through the organization. And, and in those early days, they didn't have a lot of money, but I remember this house so vividly over on the north side of Great Falls, uh, decorated in the 1960s in that mid-century modern stuff, those minimalist lines and the funky lamps, you know, that now you see at garage sales for $2. And... Uh, <laughs> That kind of decor. And, and really, my mom and dad didn't have a lot of nice things. But my mom had a few treasures that she really, really loved. And one of those treasures was this figurine. I had her take a picture of it this week and send it to me. Um, this was something that my grandmother had given my mom uh, when my mom was in high school. And she really, really treasured this. She had this one, this kind of burgundy-colored one. And she had another one that was similar that was blue. And I can remember as a child thinking these things were so beautiful. And I knew that my mom really, really treasured them. 
But uh, my mom just, you know, kept a pretty tight ship in the house, and she didn't put things away. She just figured that her children would learn to respect nice things. And so I remember as a four-year-old being captivated by these things that were so treasured by my mom. And one day my mom was in the kitchen, and I was in the living room, and I just thought, I'll just pick that thing up just this one time. And picked it up, and I I don't remember exactly what I was doing, but the next thing I knew, it had slipped out of my hands, and there was a loud crash and crunch, and my mom came running into the living room to find her beautiful treasured figurine broken. And so she gathered up the pieces. Yeah, there you go. You can see that she glued it together best she could, and for 40 years, this figurine has sat on her shelf with this big, ugly repair in the back. She sent me a close-up in case you couldn't tell how badly damaged it was. Just a little more guilt for Easter Sunday. And I can remember as a little child, my, my mom ran into the and she said, probably predictable, she said, I can't have anything nice. How many of you moms have used that on your children? Yes. That's the way to guilt your kids, right? I can't have anything nice. And I remember as a little child, I remember as a little child telling my mom, Mom, I'm going to buy you a new one. I'm, I'm going to make up for this. I'm going to make restitution for what I've done. And, and uh, let me be honest with you, for 40 years, I have had an intention to find and buy my mom one of these figurines to replace the one that I broke as a four-year-old. Uh, few years ago, 10, 10, 12 years ago, eBay became a part of our lives, right? And I started seeing these things on eBay, but do you know what? Uh, In the 40 years since I broke it, these things have become highly collectible, and now they go for hundreds of dollars. And, and the ones you find on eBay, a lot of times they're broken and they still go for big money. And, and I want to find one for my mom that's in perfect condition, like it was before I broke it, you know. And, but I've never been able to find one that's in perfect condition and that's the right color. I'll see blue ones once in a while or yellow ones, pink ones, whatever. But I haven't found this right color until Christmas this last year. Finally, eBay had a mint condition figurine, this same exact one. And as soon as I saw it, I started bidding because I'm going to buy my mom. Forty years later, I'm going to replace that thing that I broke of my mom's. Started bidding on it. And wouldn't you know, I got busy. It was Christmas time. Got busy. And the day the auction ended, I forgot to put in my final bid. And I lost it. And my mom knew it was on eBay. She knew I was bidding on it, and that just gave her one more reason to give me a load of guilt, right? (laughs) So the quest continues. But we all kind of have these shared experiences, do we not? Uh, Of guilt, and and, uh, we've all experienced guilt from lots of different places. Like like you probably can remember things like this. Maybe uh, your mom asked you to go and bring some chairs up from the basement and you were busy doing something else, playing video games or something, and, and you said, yeah, yeah, I'll get it done. And pretty soon your mom calls from the kitchen and she says, fine, I'll bring up the chairs, me and my bad back, right? <laughs> guilt, right? Or, or maybe... Uh, Maybe in middle school, you started wearing those funky, ugly clothes that you just do in middle school because self-expression is starting to come out. And, and you're, what do your parents say? What are the neighbors going to think when they see you going out like that? You know, 
It's guilt. Or, or maybe your dad had a heart attack and, and, uh, and one day in a, in a moment of anger he snarled at you. Do you want to give me another heart attack? Like the first one was your fault and not the french fries he's been eating for 40 years, you know? <laughs> guilt. And, and people use guilt to try to manipulate us into behaving certain ways. Some guilt is self-imposed. Uh, like I've talked to lots of people whose parents were divorced when they were little. And a lot of times kids will believe that a divorce is their own fault. Like, if only I had loved my dad more, maybe he wouldn't have left my mom. And, and we take on those kinds of things. Or, or school sometimes can be a huge source of guilt, right? Like, how many of you had an older sibling that preceded you in school? Do you remember hearing a school teacher saying, If only you were more like your brother, okay? And school teachers use guilt, right? Those kinds of things, they've happened to all of us. But probably one of the most damaging sources of guilt, if we're really honest with ourselves, one of the most damaging sources of guilt is religion. Because in a lot of, in a lot of religious institutions, the message is that if you don't measure up, if you don't behave according to a certain standard, you're going to let God down. And what could be worse than letting God down? And if you don't measure up to these standards, God's going to look for the first opportunity he can to strike you with lightning and send you straight to hell. <laughs> and so many of us carry that kind of guilt. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with people, and I'll invite them to Connect Church. I'll say, why don't you come and just check us out? And they'll say, oh, I could never set foot in a church. And I'll say, well, why couldn't you set foot in a church? Well, because I think lightning would strike me if I went into a church. <laughs> Lots of people feel that way. Why? Because religion makes you feel guilty. And honestly, friends, I don't believe that's, that's really what God had in mind when he sent Jesus. I want you to hear a couple of verses from the Gospel of John. The first one is very, very familiar. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world, God so loved the world, that He gave His only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Now when we're quoting this verse, we a lot of times stop there, but the next verse is so important. It goes on to say, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. God so loved the world. He didn't condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to set up a religion that'll just make everybody feel guilty all the time. Jesus came to demonstrate to us the amazing love that God has for all of us. If you're taking notes this morning uh, on the note cards that were on your chairs, here's what you can write in that first line. Religion may have made you feel guilty, but Jesus, the real Jesus, offers you love instead of guilt. Isn't that good news? That's really why we celebrate Easter today, is because the empty grave symbolizes the fact that guilt is done away with, and the love of God expressed in Jesus is now available to all of us. This morning I want to tell you a story about a figure from the New Testament that we don't talk about very often. Uh, her name is Mary Magdalene, and she was a friend of Jesus. And I, I want to pick up the story in John chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along in John chapter 20. 
uh, but you're going to hear it read to you on video this morning. And, and I want you to see the experience of Mary Magdalene as she discovered that Jesus had risen from the dead. Watch this. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene, went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now let me tell you a little bit about Mary Magdalene. She was a friend of Jesus, and she was an important part of the group of disciples that traveled with Jesus and, and followed him. Uh, the Gospels tell us that Mary Magdalene was a witness to the death, 
the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, she is the only one of the disciples, she's the only person named in the Gospels as being there for all three of those events. She was very unique in that way. The Eastern Orthodox Church celebrates Mary Magdalene and calls her the Apostle to the Apostles, which is very interesting. Do you know what an Apostle is? An Apostle is a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we think of an Apostle as being those 12 men, the 12 disciples, the 12 Apostles, that traveled around and became missionaries, bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus. But Mary Magdalene was the Apostle to the Apostles, Because she was the first one to see Jesus alive. And she went and told the rest of them, Jesus has risen. So she's an important figure. But what's interesting about Mary Magdalene is that we don't know a lot about her early life. Luke chapter 8 tells us that she was originally demon-possessed. And that Jesus had healed her and set her free of the demons that inhabited her. And that uh, after that, she became a part of the disciples' community and followed Jesus. And and afterward, uh, she went and she was preparing him for burial. So she was a good friend to Jesus. But we don't know much more about her private or her prior life than this. But there is a really interesting story in John chapter 8 that is sometimes attributed to Mary Magdalene although it doesn't specifically say that it was her. But I want us to read this story together, and I want you to see the incredible love of Jesus in contrast to the guilt that the religious leaders of the day were heaping on people. John chapter 8, this is what we read. As Jesus was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman they had caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. You see, uh, they, they knew that Jesus was a person who loved people and set them free and that Jesus didn't always follow all of the rules and regulations and all of the little minutiae that they tried to impose on people. So they were trying to get him to violate the law of Moses. They were trying to trick him. But the Bible says Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and he said, All right, stone her. But let those who have never sinned throw the first stones. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Now people who have read this story for centuries have wondered, what in the world was it that Jesus was writing in the dust? The Bible doesn't say. I kind of like to think that Jesus was probably writing in the dust the names of the mistresses that those religious leaders were keeping locked behind closed doors. He was writing something in the dust that made all of those religious leaders feel very uncomfortable because the story goes on and says this, when the accusers heard this, when they saw him writing in the dust, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and he said to her, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. 
And Jesus said this. Look at this. So beautiful. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Isn't it beautiful how Jesus loved this woman instead of heaping a load of guilt on her like the religious leaders were trying to do? I think that sometimes sexual guilt is one of the most debilitating forms of guilt. I can remember as a nine-year-old boy being exposed to some things that I wish I had never seen. And I remember after that experience feeling so much guilt. Uh, I don't think I even knew this story from the Bible at that time, but I certainly experienced that kind of guilt and condemnation that comes when a person has sinned in this kind of a way. Let me tell you what guilt is. Here's a good definition of guilt. You can write this down if you're taking notes. Guilt is feeling bad for something that you've done. Or guilt could be feeling bad for something that you haven't done, either way. I remember feeling very guilty because I knew that I had done something, that I had participated in something that I should not have done. I didn't know what to do with that guilt. I I felt too ashamed to go and talk to my parents about it. Uh, My pastor was this big, tall man. He had a great sense of humor, but he was so, so big, he scared me half to death. And and my church was kind of all about guilt anyway. Uh, I can remember singing in Sunday school. Maybe some of you remember this little song. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Do you remember this? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above, he is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's great theology. The Father's looking down in love, but that be careful, little eyes, what you see just made me feel guilty, right? Because I'd looked at something that I knew was very, very wrong. And over the years, as that behavior repeated itself again and again and again, guilt morphed into shame. Let me tell you what shame is. If guilt is feeling bad for something that you've done, shame is feeling bad about who you are. And instead of feeling remorse for my My actions, I started loathing myself and believing that I was a bad person. Believing that for some reason I had been created in such a way that God couldn't possibly love me. The very fact that I had desires that were uh, contrary to what I was being taught was right and wrong. The fact that I desired these things at all indicated to me that I was unlovable. That God couldn't possibly welcome me into his family. And my shame took root in my heart and began to express itself in anger. Anger against myself. Anger against my parents. Anger against anybody who was around me. Because I had absolutely come to the conclusion that I was a bad, bad person. And it wasn't until I was a young adult, really, that I began to understand love. When I finally found people that I trusted and I let them know who I really was, And I was able to share my experiences and confess my sins to people who loved me unconditionally. That I began to feel a release from the guilt and the shame that had gripped me for my entire childhood and teen years. Let me tell you what love is. When John 3.16 says God so loved the world, John uses a Greek word in the original manuscript, the word agape. 
And if you've been around churches for very long, you've probably heard the definition of agape, unconditional love, right? Here's another definition that I think is a powerful definition of that word agape. It's being welcomed fondly. Being welcomed fondly. When I finally began to discover the real love of Jesus, and when people began to love me unconditionally and tell me, Russ, Jesus has forgiven your sins. Jesus paid the penalty so that you don't have to pay your own penalty. When, when people finally began to communicate being welcomed fondly into the family of God and into the community of Christ, it became absolutely transformative for me. And you know what Jesus says? He says, God so loved the world. God wants to welcome you fondly into his community, into his family. That's how God feels about you. Not wanting to heap a pile of guilt on you. You know, here's the problem with guilt and shame. They keep us imprisoned with the false notion that we have to somehow make up for whatever it is that we've done wrong. I want you to know this morning that regardless of what you have done in your life, regardless of whatever regrets you have from your past, I want you to know today that God loves you fondly. And he's not at all interested in sending you in a guilt trap, guilt trip. The life of Jesus, as we read it in the Gospels, proves that Jesus is love. And he He doesn't call you to a place of guilt. He calls you to a place of love. Karen, God loves you. God loves you. Isn't that good news? It's good news. Linda, God loves you. God welcomes you fondly. Lexi, God loves you. He really, really loves you. Sadie, God loves you. I only picked on women, didn't I? I think it was all men in Bozeman. I must have moved to women here. (laughs) No guilt, just love, right? Men, God loves you. (laughs) Michael, God loves you. You've had a lot of guilt and shame put on you over the years. God welcomes you fondly. He welcomes you fondly. And whatever your name is in this room, God loves you. God loves you. In fact, if you're taking notes this morning, on on the back of your card, I put God loves blank. Would you write your name in that blank? Would you write your name in that blank? God loves Russ Michaels. I'm so thankful that I don't have to live under all that garbage that I carried for so many years. I don't have to feel guilty any longer. God loves me. And Jesus paid the penalty for my sin so that I no longer have to wallow in guilt and shame. And I don't know if that story that I read to you about the woman caught in adultery was Mary Magdalene or not. I don't know. But if it was, Jesus loved her and welcomed her into his family. If it wasn't, Nonetheless, she was demon-possessed, and Jesus loved her and welcomed her into his family. And that's what Jesus does for every one of us. If you've been burdened down with guilt, I want you to know today, Jesus loves you, and today you can find release from that guilt. As we wrap up today, I would like nothing more than to pray with you.
to receive the welcoming love of Jesus into your life, especially if that's never happened to you before. I would love for you to be introduced to a life of living in love instead of guilt and shame. And I want to invite you today to the the next four messages in this message series. I'm going to be talking about uh, guilt and love and and how they change. Uh, Next week, I'm going to unpack this whole idea of guilt that imprisons us and why guilt is so damaging and how much we need to be freed from it. And then the, the next message will be about the love that frees us. And we're going to talk about our internal lives for a couple of weeks, and then we're going to turn outward and talk about how we use guilt to manipulate other people. And I'm hoping that my mama will listen to the podcast, and, and maybe she'll stop guilting me, because I, I'm motivated by my mama's guilt, you know. A lot of you boys, you know what I'm talking about. And then we'll wrap up the series by talking about the love that motivates and how we can stop manipulating people with guilt and start just loving people and motivating them. I love my mama. I, ho- I-, I want you all to know that. And my mama listens to my podcast every week. So mama, I love you. I'm just picking on you. We're going to pray. And then we're going to have an Easter egg hunt. Let's stand together, can we? Would you bow your heads? You don't have to pray this out loud with me, uh, but would you just agree in your heart as I lead us in prayer? Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful today that you came to this earth because God wanted to welcome us warmly and fondly into his family. Jesus, thank you for loving us so deeply. And Jesus, I pray that today, for those of us that are standing in this place, who have been living under this deep and heavy load of guilt and shame, I pray, Jesus, that you will release us. Help us to shed it and walk boldly and bravely into your love. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning and you need the love of Jesus and maybe you've never said yes to his his offer of forgiveness in your life, I hope that you will pray this prayer from the depths of your heart. You don't have to pray out loud, but would you just agree with me if you're coming to Jesus this morning? Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and I know that I need to be released from this guilt and shame. I ask you to wash me clean, change me, and help me to start walking and living for you in the light of your love, Lord Jesus. Amen. Would you look at me for just a minute? Let me tell you, tell you the end of the story of Mary Magdalene. Legend has it. It's not in the Bible, but it's just legend. But legend has it that she traveled all over the known world, proclaiming the fact that Christ was risen from the dead. And she would use an egg as an illustration of Jesus crashing out of the tomb. And she would tell people, this egg is like the tomb that Jesus was in. But just like a chick will break out of this egg, so Jesus came erupting out of the tomb. And that was, that's attributed to Mary Magdalene as an as a illustration of, of Christ rising from the dead. And legend in the Eastern churches says that, that on one of her trips, she 
stood before the emperor of Rome and she said, Christ is risen. And he said to her, rather sarcastically, that's about as likely as that egg turning red. And as they both looked, the egg in her hand turned blood red. And legend says that's why we dye Easter eggs, is in memory of Mary Magdalene, who was so transformed by the love of Jesus. I don't know if that's true, but I hope that today, if your Easter celebrations include Easter eggs, I hope you will be thankful for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the love, the love that he offers. Amen? We're going to wrap up by worshiping and giving this morning. So if you want to grab your offering envelopes and get ready for that, you can have a seat if you'd like to. Uh, And also, would you grab your connection cards? John had you fill out those connection cards earlier. If you'll grab those and you can drop those in the offering. If you made the decision to follow Jesus this morning... Uh, I would love to be able to give you some next steps. If you'd mark it on your card that you made a decision to follow Jesus, I would love to be able to share next steps with you. And we've got Bibles in the back. If you need a Bible, we'd love to give you one before you go. Join us for the next four messages. And uh, hope to see you again next week. We're going to sing this great song, Christ is Risen from the Dead. And so... uh, Once the offering basket has gone by, stand to your feet and sing along with John, would you? Oh, one last thing. Sorry. One moment. Our prayer team is going in the chair room, prayer room. If you would like somebody to pray with you, make your way over there. If not, we're going to start the Easter egg hunt in just a few minutes. Let no one caught in sin remain inside.